Hello, and welcome to the Dad and Sons podcast. Did you know, fun fact, that the Earth is made of 70% water, but more importantly, the Dad and Sons love you 70% of which your mum does. So, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's like you're, you're, you're loved all the time here on the Dad and Sons show, at least 70% of the time. And welcome to another episode where you are the dad or the sons, and we're the dad or the sons, but you decide and we, you know, all that nonsense. I have with me the delightful Matthew Visual. Oh, thank you. Hello, Matt. Matthew. And we have, of course, everyone's favorite, some would say uncle, but on here he's a dad and son. It's Mr. Gorg Viedman. <laughs> uncle Hi. George. Uncle? Uncle George. Uh, uncle George. Uh, I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> and I'm probably going to have to get used to that at some point in my life. Well, it's coming for you. It sounds so natural for you, Uncle George. It does. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> uncle but, George. But, I mean, I'm going to be like one of the cool uncles who rides a motorcycle <laughs> and, and gives video games as their gifts, right? Instead of the weird uncles. You're going to be unk. You're going to be unk. I still unk. You're gonna be unk, unk, yeah, yeah. The problem is, George, with the, the, the cool uncles, the people who think they're cool uncles are no doubt the creepy uncles. Yeah, because they're only only cool to the kids, so maybe I need to rethink my strategy yeah, here. Maybe I, I need so. to be cool to the adults instead. And as quoted last week, I'm the third favorite member of the Dan Sun Show, Liam. Hello. Oh, 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 but I don't... But who's, who said third? I love all my dads and sons. Equally. I don't know. I came across I came across a comment once, and it was like, "I like Liam, but he's my third favorite member." <laughs> wow! Jeez! Shut the, it's like the backhanded like, comment. Oh, exactly. Yeah. It's like the Japanese language. The the way Japanese works is that the like the topic order is always at the end. So like. A, a sentence in Japanese oh, yeah, could be like normal, 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 boom, bad news, or like normal, 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 <laughs> the best news, and it's like it's like a roller coaster ride to the end. Reading that comment yeah, was so similar. I, I was like, oh, I like Liam, but he's my third favorite member, and I'm there thinking, how many members of Dan Sons are there? Wait, there's three. What the fuck? <laughs> I I remember hearing in my community college local crappy Japanese classes that the like the rule of thumb for like thinking about the basics of how you should restructure your English sentences into Japanese is just like imagine okay how would Yoda say it? It's so it's kind of right. No, yeah, you like leave the off. noun at, at at the end, and then like the verb tops the sentence off. You're like, mm, this is it, good soup. This is, and it's like, how would you how would you say that? And because uh, you would say this soup is good, oh. no. Uh, you would mark? say. Well, you would still say like, soup wa oishikata. You would still say soup first, I yeah. guess. Topic is always first, but what? It's the sense of like you would use the verb at the end. You wouldn't yeah, say I'm yeah. playing soccer. You'd be like soccer ga. Yeah, soccer wa kyo ni shimasu. So, or something like that. I like I played soccer. I, I'm imagining a lot of really fun ways to uh, get passive-aggressive in Japanese. Where you can keep people roping along up until stingers at the end of the sentences. Oh, yeah. 
That's what it's all about. It's like normal, normal conversation. Boom! Like bad news <laughs> hits you. You didn't expect. You're like, what the fuck? So in English, how do you, you break can up tell. With somebody? How does that sound in English? Well, that's the thing. Is like, I've had plenty of friends talk to me about like you know in Japan we have the koku haku it's called which is like the confession like mm-hmm. the I like you I don't like you the the, yeah. uh, the ultimatum on a, a relationship whether it's going to continue or not after a couple of dates and uh, it's so hard because someone could be a girl or a boy would just start talking normally and you'd be waiting for like the bomb to drop and it would you could you would just have no way of telling up until they said the verb and it could be either positive or negative. Oh <laughs> so you're just there. You're just oh waiting. You're like, where's this going? Where's this going? Oh, it sounds good. Sounds good. Boom! I want to break up. And it's like, oh my god. <laughs> I didn't expect that. It's uh, it's pretty fucked up. Your, your, your jaw drops. Speed lines appear mm. behind you. And, and you're just left gasping. Yeah, it's why anime always has, like, you know, the the drawn out what seems to be filler conversations before they have the, the reaction shot. Mm-hmm. It's just because that's how the Japanese language is. You have to listen to a whole like four sentences before you get a reaction because you don't <laughs> in- exactly know what's going to happen yet. Oh my god. The suspense is killing me already. Speaking of, of romance in Japanese and the, the, and the complexities. Before the bang <laughs> at the end. Filler before the bang <laughs> at the end. Alright, so I've I I finished up Agretzko and for the past three weeks I have been discussing it on the podcast. I, I tossed out the idea of doing one on the ending. This time though, we'd have to throw out a spoiler warning because yeah. stuff happens now. There's there's unexpected uh, situations the character finds themselves in that they do unexpected things to get themselves out of. I mean, some some friends have, have become something else. Some some enemies have become a little more fleshed out and, and deeper. And, uh, did and, you watch, and we don't want to reveal that too far ahead of time. Did you watch the English or the Japanese? I, I had English on for about 40 seconds, and then I switched it back to Japanese because the subtitles on Netflix for English were not accurate to the subtitles of the dub in English. And, and the jarring yeah. differences between the two kept pulling me out of the experience. Breaking my immersion, It's completely different. Like I said last time, it, really? they completely changed it. it they, did, they, what, did, what did they do? Did they make it just more they made American? It, or? Yeah, they made it more American. They made, they made it like... If... I guess I, I would have to watch the, the, the actual sub a little bit more. But I think they changed it so people in america could feel the same pain because yeah i think that they probably did just a cracking localization job where it's like yes. look these japanese like foibles like they're sort of similar to the problems we have in our own society with office yeah. work but let's change them so they perfectly match like and the frustrations of really good. there there were a lot of moments that i just didn't really get that i chalked up to culture shock like like some responses, some replies, some conversations that that I wasn't really you have an <laughs> able to understand why. Pe- I'm trying to think of um, one right now, and I guess the overarching thing that, that I would be pointing out is how easily she falls for this guy who's super duper bland and boring and doesn't really offer a lot of replies to anything yeah, in that's, general. That's, He's just kind of like, huh. 
Huh. That's a super Japanese thing. Huh. That's just a Japanese huh. thing. Well, she hasn't been in love before, though. That's the thing. Mm. So he, he's purposely he, he meant did to be this, like that. He did this like one thing, like helped her go home, and you know, and like and started texting with her. And she so, she just melts, and then she just melts because she 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 doesn't know what it is to be you know in love. So she was one of those people who fell um, in love very quickly. At least that's what the dub made it seem like. I don't know what yep. the sub did because the the so, dub was just done. It was just done really well. <laughs> so I the sub was like the sub was in a weird Japanese way where it's like you're sort of similar where he did something nice for her, but they kind of had a little bit of a connection. Obviously, in the anime, they play it up that they're both lesser pandas, so it makes more sense for them to connect. Obviously, yeah, mm-hmm. they're the same type. Um, and initially, he seems. You know, she gets a little drunk and she he starts looking really handsome, so she's kind of swooned. And obviously she's in the moment where she's trying to escape work, so her idea is that rushing into a relationship and getting mm. married is one way of doing it. So there's like half... The first she, person to come in. Yeah, yeah, half doesn't <laughs> care. Half also, he's probably better than everyone else at that moment in time. But it's on purpose that, in a very Japanese way, he's just super fucking boring. Mm-hmm. Mm. What you're saying, like all Japanese men are boring, is basically what you're saying there, right? Yeah, I'm that's saying, uh, the, the exact uh, explicit inference. Yeah. So all the we Japanese can quote you on that, you know, like headlines on the New York Post. I mean, <laughs> some Japanese office workers who maybe don't have too much of a life outside of work. I don't know. Well, yeah, like, like you can chalk that up to cultural differences. It's it's a lot more acceptable to be like fully invested in either your work or your hobby of choice, and just like well, you don't really to... have a choice when it comes to office work in Japan. <laughs> it's forced oh, no. upon you. You uh, you have no choice. Oh, and that was another thing that I was wondering if they made it through translation is um. A lot of the the weird stuff going on with the work culture. So so it, it during one of the primary twists, the the evil boss like turns nice for a day, but then that just kind of gets turned off when then they wake up the next day after the party, and she gets mad. He gets mad at regrets go for the staple not being at the right angle on the stack of paperwork. When I've heard sto- forgets, I I've heard stories. What a shitty boss. I've heard stories of bosses from from expats I talked to in Tokyo who would shoo out these like white interns traveling overseas because they wouldn't like serve coffee from the order of the seniority going down at meetings. Oh my god, dude, you have Yeah, like real petty little stuff that, that I can actually you... like believe is I'll give you is... a super great example of this that my girlfriend told me about the other day. Oh so boy. So my girlfriend is a high school teacher here in Japan, and they have very similar lives to like office workers where they work six days a week around the clock. And she was telling me about this way that seniority works that in Japan we have like keigo, which is, you know, being formal to each other or speaking formal Japanese. That's the like second language for for rich Japanese corporate people, right? It's like like making sure everything is correct. Natural class conflict. They had to, they had to like, they were, it was like exam week and they had to like supervise the students or give out the tests and it would have it was like a rotor or something where people would 
teachers, different teachers would come in and out. And then you, what you would do is one teacher would write their name with the kanji for sensei next to it. Mm-hmm. And then the next teacher would come in and then write their name and oh, they would cross out sensei next to their name to seem informal. And then the next person would come in and then rewrite sensei next to them, crossing out sensei next to their own name to seem lesser than the last teacher who came in. And then the next one would come in and then cross, would write sensei next to their name and then write, and then cross out sensei next to their own name. So it's like you have this weird, messy paper that has just like hundreds of lines through kanji for sensei and then rewritten over and over again to make the incoming person less, lesser than the person who's been working. This was done like entirely sincerely, like completely seriously. No one was. No, you have to do it. You have to do it. It's a formality. You have to do it. It's just one of Japan's weird formal things. And if it's like the Kyoto Sensei or the Kocho Sensei, which is like the head teacher or the principal, they don't cross out their name because they are, of course, the head teacher or the the vice principal of the school. So they don't cross out their own name. They always have sensei next to them. Or they have the kanji for Kyoto and Kocho, which is like vice and head. And then they keep it and everyone else crosses their own sensei next to it. Even though they're all sensei and they're all on the same level, they have to do it to seem like lesser than the it, the person who's been working longer than them. So so even when they're at like the same horizontal hierarchy in the company, it's like down to who shows up before the other people to determine like, who gets their uh, job title not crossed out? Is that? Well, it's more like who's been working the longest that day. Or the incoming person is kind of like an otsukaru-sama, which is like, thanks for your good work, and that now I'm going to like make myself lesser so you can go out being the teacher kind of thing. I don't know. It's really weird. I didn't understand it, and she was complaining that it was pointless, and I 100% agree with that. But that's just Jeez. like one of the examples of this nonsense. And in Agaretsuko, yeah. there is like a really good showing of the fact that the older you get in Japan, the more up the hierarchy you get and the more senior uh, like seniority you get especially with the the pig boss you know he doesn't do anything and the, the higher you get the less work you do because everyone else does the work for you but the more responsibility you have it's so weird like i don't know how the american version portrayed it because yeah. i think still like in they, companies they in the, the West, same way um really the, the old guy the old guy didn't do anything. He was using he company polished money. his rods all day. Yeah, and building like model, like s- stupid model stuff for the office, and it, it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, yeah. it kind of Japan, it like, kind of happens though, like in in the America as well. Maybe not that extreme, but like I'm not saying my job, but you know, just jobs in in this type of field you'll have people just handing down jobs downward because they don't oh, want to yeah, do yeah. it something tells me that that you know like like people like elon musk and jeff bezos don't uh fill out quite the same work time schedule as their underlings it's 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 you think it's elon universal musk anywhere you got hierarchies there? i don't think so Anyways, uh, you guys noticed how they pulled an all-nighter at the office, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing that happens too. I have heard. Well, that's fairly frequent. There are. I I think it depends. I mean, you know, we've talked about crunch on the show before, so it happens in the West in like. And and they don't even like mention too, it but... in a Gretzko. It's just like a, a silly scene transition. Like uh, they they mm. they're down on on people at work, and they show her working hard to make up for it, and then the screen just fades to black, and then it fades back, and she's waking up at the same desk. Yeah. Okay, so one thing that also weirded me out, and I'm wondering how different this came off in the English dub, is um when they tried for an episode to kind of give the boss a redemption arc where where they got him in a corner and he was like you know when i was brought up in the company i was i was i was treated like shit so that's why i i'm trying to treat you guys like shit and i think that's i think that's a very japanese way of doing it i have no like, sympathy this, for that guy yeah like they're trying to explain like Back in the day, this is it was way worse than it was now. You guys have it fucking easy. Like youngsters in Japan don't work hard enough and don't do all this. There is like there is a massive amount of that in Japan. You know how we have like the 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 baby boomers and all that sort of generation things in our own sort of societies. And oh oh yeah yeah like, the the oh, dominant demographic the yeah like, the one oh, that actually fucking, has political representation. Yeah, millennials, they don't do anything. Millennials have no money. They don't, they're not willing to work, that kind of thing. In Japan, it's very, very similar, but there is, like... Japan's in this weird transition where it's been a very traditional country for so long, and then in the 80s, everyone got loads of money, and then it became, like, a very booming business-based society, and now there's, like, this huge uprising in Japan of, like, creativity, and there are all kinds of... There's just, like, a big swing in change in Japan. So you have this very, like even more brutally different like brutal difference between older generations and new generations where you have all these old people who like work in rice farms and they've worked at companies for 40 years and they respect their seniors completely and now you have all these young japanese people growing up who want to like travel to different countries or learn english or uh become artists or musicians and they don't want to do the traditional go to high school, get in the best university you can, then go and work for a company as a salaryman and then work at that job for like 40 years. So he is like the representation of the old and like Agoretsuko still has gone like the traditional path of getting work in Japan, but yeah. you know, he's still explaining like, you youngsters, you don't know shit. Like, I, I, I was, was about to, to ask if um like that generational rebellion just comes and goes in cycles because I remember hearing about how um during and and what it might have to do with the economic boom and just like the dice roll of what year you happen to be born and i remember hearing about how there was a a wave of of typically more rebellious than usual japanese youth in the in the early 80s and that that is uh what the author was correlating to the boom in the japanese video game industry in the mid to late 80s when that generation grew up and then started innovating on old ideas in ways that typical companies wouldn't. And maybe since the economic boom, another generation grew up that kind of had a more comfortable living uh, adopting to corporate life. And now that, that that whole dream is going away, maybe maybe there's another generation of, of, like you're saying, Japanese that are getting rowdy again. Yeah. 
And it's so weird how much that economic boom is is lauded and revered when, in retrospect, it just seems like a very, very short time in the grand history of things. Like, they made an entire Yakuza prequel around it. And it was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's mid-80s to basically early 90s when when that economic boom was happening, wasn't it? Or, or did it extend far past that? Like half I think it was like eighty into the like nineties. They had obviously the huge economic boom, and you saw all these car manufacturers, computer manufacturers, technology, just like technology booming in Japan mm-hmm. after you know the war and stuff like that. So this, it's weird to think like this really rock solid salaryman s culture has only really been around since for like 50 years or so. There is yeah, like that's, a that's maximum. Yeah, that's the name of the game. You but get people used to something the over their lifetime, here. even if it's something completely radical new, and everyone will just think it's always been that case forever. Like, like, like under God has been on the U.S. Constitution, in, in the U.S. Pledge of Allegiance for like, since the Cold War. There's, there's almost 300 years of of American history where that was just like not a staple thing that people accepted as a permanent sacred part of of the nationalism lore. I don't know, I'm kind of getting off topic. Um I am I, interested though. I am interested in both of you taking uh the BuzzFeed what Agoritsko character are you? And I I wonder oh who God. both of you would be. Hmm. Um Matt, who do you think George would be? The the pig. <laughs> the big? No. Uh, shoot, it, it would have to be. Um, I'm a. Fender. I forgot her name. The ha 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 ha. Fenico. Fenico. That'll probably be the closest. Not exactly a match to to George, but just. I I I can see it. Like, I, that's the yeah, closest. Yeah, I can see a little. Yeah, that's the. I mean, what George is. Uh, I can't imagine working a, an office job with George. <laughs> that, that would be quite interesting. I, I take a lot of bathroom I don't know. breaks. I kind of, I kind of think George would be like, let's go. I'm, I'm uh, thinking that's who I would be as well because I'm, I'm so I nervous all George the time. George would be let's go. And and I'm so He'd... nervous about about the the working conditions of the working folk. Yeah, Fenico seems but to just Red put Skull up the with pushover. The George would just complain all the time and 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 no, say No, not stuff. really. No, 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 no. Because like the difference between Fenico and Retsuko, Retsuko like takes out all her rage, and then there are times when she almost speaks up and says something, and you know the time when they so go George to the, will go home and party. make a YouTube video about video this like complaining <laughs> about it, right? Yeah, exactly. Or. He would like bring it up when everyone's drunk, and he'd be like, "Now's the same time to just like spill the beans and let everyone know." Whereas Fenico, Fenico doesn't do shit. Fenico like hides behind her phone, bitching about everyone. I reckon George. Uh, yep, guilty as charged. Hmm. But she and does it without Matt enough be? emotion or, or 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 like humor. She oh, she George, never she she never just emotional. screams. And sometimes all I can do is just scream. With, the thing, Arespo ah! likes music, and George doesn't like music. Like, it's it's such a different character than George. It doesn't have to be a one-to-one. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a one-to-one. There are similarities, though. But who would you be, Matt? Matt, you'd be like... I... Matt, you'd be Fenico. <laughs> 
I guess it's all a perspective, a matter of perspective. I guess this means that the anime did a good job of making us all identify with the main character. <laughs> George, what character do you think Matt would be? And that was perfect. I, hmm, hmm. I, hmm. I, I gotta say I like I gotta her the try. best. <laughs> I like her the best. Her laugh is fantastic. I, you think I wouldn't make a good um, like um, I can see suck up? Go. Oh my god! No, <laughs> no I, I have a hard no time way. picturing that. <laughs> no way! No fucking way! No way! <laughs> You're a stewer. You're a stewer. You're gonna stew like Fedigo. You're just gonna stew. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. <laughs> So, video games, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to oh, take this BuzzFeed oh, thing, too. <laughs> For the personality quiz. <laughs> Please take it so we can announce the, the, the results after the break. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what video games can we uh, can we switch to for... For a few minutes. I like Matt's. I like Matt's video game. Matt's video game is called Work. <laughs> I'm so. I have uh, been working the George Gilt. a lot. <laughs> Gotta pay off them bills, son. Gotta pay off them bills. Gotta pay off them bills, son. I, I come how home. Is the, how is the? You, 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 after work, you you go to sleep. You wake up early for the gym. You go to work. You may take a poop in between some of that, and then that that's that's pretty much. That's pretty much what I've been doing. Instead of watching like stuff like um, very, very like um, office theme, work theme um, stuff on Netflix, kind of like Resco and Office as well. And there's something called Ro- <laughs> Roosterdon. Roosterdon. You're fully immersed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know all the anger that I see the the characters like scream. I I can live vicariously through them. It's great. Great. I stayed away from um, um, uh, was it was it Neo Yokio? Yeah, I stayed away from that because I was just depressed. No more Toblerones yeah. for you. Yeah, I I I I watch it someday and then come back come back to that. <laughs> I stayed away. I was like, ah, I don't want to waste thirty minutes of my time watching this. I rather watch another episode of The Office and watch how Jim and Pam get it on. That's that's pretty much. It's pretty much me. So, so you minimize <laughs> that window of the office to maximize your window of Jim and Pam getting it on. Got mm, it. Um, yes. Roger that. Mm. It's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> video, video game called Life. It's, it's a no MMO, guys. Jump on. It's 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 the oasis. Just need the oasis. <laughs> <laughs> the, I think George might walks. as well take this one because. I've only been playing old games. I got I got a new desk. This is 2018, finally. Liam. I know, man. I got a new you, desk. You and got I a like... new oh a new desk. I thought you said something else. Whoa. I bet you thought I did. What is it with you two? Matt posted to me on Twitter earlier about my balls, and now George. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You that said that you had a right shoe tattoo, and I was like. I do. Where is this tattoo? Is it by the Pokeball? Surprisingly, surprisingly, <laughs> Matt. Surprisingly, Matt. It, it's it's closer to the balls than you would have thought it would be. Whoa! <laughs> Tramp stamp. 
<laughs> really? <laughs> Liam, do you have a Raichu tramp stamp? Does it just like peek out of your pants? <laughs> One of those statements is incorrect. <laughs> it's not a tramp stamp. But it does peek out of your pants. When, when, when you bend over yeah. um, at your teaching job, no, do the no, kids no, see it? No, no. Like, oh, way. right, no, you, right. That you. that is closer to the pokeball than I was expecting. Like, like if if you look directly down at your balls, if Ooh. you are a male right now, you can visualize this. If you look, if you're not. sitting down and you look directly at your balls, and then you sort of have a little peek at both your thighs. If you just slightly turn to your right leg on the side of your thigh, that is where you can visualize my Raichu tattoo. Interesting. Right, I'm time stamping this. Liam talks it has an about his ball tattoo. It has an interesting it. story. It has interesting. an interesting story. Which... Interesting. Sure, <laughs> sure it does. There's you so many things I could say, up, but I think I would get in trouble. George would, would, would take me to the principal's office, and I don't feel like going to the principal's office today. Nah, he, he'll just cut it out. He'll just cut it out. <laughs> like, oh, wait. So why, why, why write you? That's the punishment. Because, okay, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm just gonna explain the story very quickly. There was a tattoo <laughs> shop that I opened up in the area when I worked at Rockstar, and they had, he was kind of a specialist in doing, like, video game-themed tattoos, comic book-themed tattoos, anime, stuff like that, like, sort of nerdy tattoos. He was, that was his, kind of his speciality and he was doing a an event for charity where he wanted to tattoo all of the original 151 pokemon on 151 different people raising money for charity half oh. of the money going to charity so, so so it's a charity a couple of people tattoo yeah it, it was a, yeah it was a charity thing right so a couple of friends at rockstar being nerds decided to go along with this and got Pokemon. Because there was only one of... You could only get one Pokemon. Once one person chose that Pokemon, no one else could get the Pokemon, right? So whoever had, like, the Gengar tattoo was the only person who had the Gengar tattoo from that guy. Nice. So in this charity event. So he was, like, crossing... He had, like, a big wall chart of all the 151, and he was, like, taking bookings and, like, crossing them off. So a couple of people at Rockstar got... Uh, one guy got Gengar. There was another guy who got like uh, Golbat. There was like a, a couple of people Ugh. got them, and I was like thinking, I have tattoos. I would be down to do this stupid charity thing. Apparently, he wanted to go down so, too. <laughs> but I was only gonna get. I was only gonna get my favorite Pokemon, which is Raichu. I love Raichu. Uh, I have since I was younger. Okay. Um. I've only seen pictures of your, you know, top half up. So, do you have some <laughs> thunder thighs, uh, Liam? Do I, I, I? Well, I have one thunder thigh. <laughs> but so oh, I bring you up. That one. <laughs> I like I like doing jokes that goes right over Jordan's head. Quickly, like, what is this shaking my head internally? <laughs> I don't know. I think you've like <laughs> broken me at this point because I'm not even like I'm just <laughs> I'm just looking at the outline, waiting for the next topic. At this point. <laughs> I have so 
always, as always, when Matthew talks, it's always time to move on. <laughs> All right, speaking of that, what I'm like, wait guys, a minute, I'm not finished yet. <laughs> what do you guys talk about? What do you guys talk about when you go around to his house? You, you, you know what? That is a great question. That is a great question. <laughs> Like when I'm not there as a buffer, what the fuck do you two talk about? We sit there in a room, not saying anything, and yeah, then we, we and then when the it comes together. down to record, we turn on the camera. And we're like, "Hey, what's up?" Woo! We, we like, all of a sudden we're friends. Yo. As soon as the camera we turns just, off, we're just like completely silent. Hey, we, yeah. we just we doing? just completely like like stare at nothing in particular and take caffeine pills for like an hour and drink Red Bulls and then. And then when it comes time, we, we flip the switch yeah, on. We do. We go on. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the lady friend comes over. I'm like, oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah, yeah. We act like we're, we're friends there because she, she's the buffer. <laughs> <laughs> what did you just do, Matt? <laughs> you just gave me the best segue. Great. Absolutely that great. This this is what real friends are for. Is <laughs> real friends give you segues. Because speaking of girlfriends. Eh? Uh-huh. Eh? I I uh got my my lady friend in Tomorrowwind. Or or at least I think I did. I don't know. I guess we'll see over over the next couple of weeks. But past couple of weeks, I um got got a, a complicated uh, mod order installed in which I um was was able to merge the the Morrowind graphics and sounds overhaul with Rebirth, and it's a it's a it's a fucking mess. It looks like a mess, and it performed like a mess for a long ass time on her crappy laptop until I uh. Scaled, scaled everything way the far down. But my God, that game is, <sighs> I. So I'm totally a nostalgic personal fanboy when it comes to Morrowind. I think I've replayed that thing like three, four times all the way through, but maybe eight times partially. And every few years, I just find myself playing Morrowind again. And I guess, I guess this is, this is it happening again. And it's really interesting to watch a new player go through it for the first time because. A lot of that stuff in the game has aged worse than I thought it did. Like, uh, it's also interesting watching her try to navigate. So have you guys played Morrowind? No. A long time ago. Yeah. Do you remember how you had to follow directions and stuff? Well, uh, the, like, the signposts in the villages and stuff like that? And when you got quests, they would give you written directions. They would say, like, yeah, take a left yeah. at the signpost, follow yeah, the yeah. lava pathway up the mountain until you see a pile of rocks that you take a right at. And, and before you know it, you, you're somehow at this, like, camp in the middle of nowhere of, with, with, with isolated uh, uh, native tribal-type peoples who, who really feel as isolated as that long-ass trek for, through past vague-ass directions was. Anyways... I... See, shit like that is like novel and okay you on on like first thought you're like this is kind of cool like following directions okay. but like by the time you're like 40 hours in ah uh... Because, like, back in the day, it was the default. Like, that was before quest markers and before mini-maps. Yeah. Before, like, the, the GTA 3 mini-map. Shit mini -map. got better. Shit got better. That, well, <laughs> I mean, you say better. I think it's a careful balancing act of trying to get the player to, like, mentally engage with the surroundings on their screen versus having their eyes glued on the quest marker. I don't think any game developers really want that, but they would want the process to be a little more 
accessible. What I'm surprised by is how much harder it is for her than it was for people who were playing this earlier in the century. Because that whole skill of like landmark-based navigations and diligently following directions and checking yourself if you've gone too far is something that has been obsoleted by GPSs. And I'm wondering if games will ever, ever, ever anymore throughout like the history of humankind have players follow directions, at least in a completely earnest way. I can imagine it being a novelty in, in some old, old, old school RPGs that want to evoke the feeling of living in a like technologically primitive society without GPSs and smartphones. But like I, giving a kid a game where they'd have to do that would be shocking nowadays because they just they, they would not even be used to that being a hindrance in real life. Like, they would not identify with, with the, the process you're gamifying. They would not know what it, was, what it would be like to have to follow directions and get lost in the new city. If they didn't have other things to, you know, expect, like quest markers and stuff like that, then it would be the same, of course, like, for us. But as you're saying, like, now it's just... Unless it was something like Firewatch, I guess, where you... Ha in Firewatch... I you have to like follow a compass, don't you, or something? Mm, yeah, yeah, and you can cross-reference it against a map. I really like yeah. the system in Firewatch too. But that's part of the game. Yeah. Like Morrow in Morrowind, it isn't essentially part of the game. It's just the system in which they get you to another point. It's part of the game, and I would argue it's because of the the, tr the historical trends at the time the game was released. Whereas Firewatch is like trying to evoke a period piece experience of of because it was an eighties. Adventure for some reason, even though you really couldn't tell. I know why! They wanted it to be an 80s adventure so that you would truly feel alone and isolated in the woods and couldn't just whip out your cell phone and call the police because you spotted all these spooky, maybe aliens in the Firewatch woods. So, yeah, that's another yeah. instance where it seems like a, a gimmick intended to evoke time and place rather than that just being the expected normal means of transportation. I can uh, see this coming back in like in different ways, like in VR. Like I, I after this. the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> no. no like, see, like something in VR sounds like really good. Like that yeah, it does, sounds like a good idea. Because um, I played, I think it was called Orbis VR, which is like a, an MMO um, that's mm -hmm. in VR, and like everything is kind of like a slight, not slightly broken, and doesn't work not all the the features are there yet so the map doesn't work properly so you kind of have to navigate through signposts to get to certain quests and you're and just I've sitting there talking with that. your friends saying oh we got to go this way oh we got to go around this way and go up these stairs and like it i can see that coming back in that way and it's especially it, it in a much better way me. than orbis even though orbis is you know it's it does its thing it's it's kind of kind of broken at the moment it, it reminds me of my childhood <laughs> and how I have like witnesses and memories of seeing a typical part of the human experience, which is following your friend's crappy directions, completely go away because of technology. Like, remember, everyone's favorite meme these days is Steam Tams. And like the first line is like, well, I made it despite your directions. And that's no one says that anymore because you don't even need to. I made it despite the Google link you sent me ha had an R instead of an M. Yeah, nowadays sent me to the wrong direction. Nowadays, if someone gets lost, it's their fault. Uh, if someone gets lost on their way to you, 
it's it's their fault because uh, they they'll blame Google or something, or they'll say their their phone racked. Like the the responsibility is no longer on the host <laughs> to provide good directions. So is she enjoying it though? Absolutely. She 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 self-identifies as a lore whore. So um, reading a lot of text and uh, getting getting into the really really trippy lore that Morrowind has, which is the thing that's like so amazing about rewatching this game all over again is how much more sense the lore and world building makes. Like you've got this uh, instead of there being this binary civil war over the continent, like you have a number of major factions. I want to say like three different: the Empire, the the Tribunal Temple, and the uh, Ashlander Cult. Like. As, as your three primary factions fighting over the continent instead of two. They're subdivided into guild halls and, and great houses. Underneath that division, you have um, minor houses that you keep track of. They all have, like, families that you can visit their tombs and, and see their graves for. There's uh, so much detail to the world that just makes sense in an intu in a surprisingly intuitive way despite how aged the game is the combat is the thing that she's not really able to get used to she was able to get used to following directions in fact i think she really loved following directions because of how immersive it is and she considers herself a lower whore but you can just ask a guard on the street for directions to the local tavern and since they don't gotta record a a $30,000 pack of voice lines for the guy. You can straight George, up get them. Yeah. I just remembered. Did you yeah. choose Morrowind for final games? I would not be surprised if I did. I think you did. It's, it is it is one of the faves. If I was on a deserted island, I could see myself getting hundreds of hours of, of good times with Morrowind. I'm pretty sure you did. I'm just remembering this now. Like I remember us having like a 45-minute conversation about Morrowind. Not not only is it a big sandbox RPG immersive collectathon like games nowadays, but it also has a really incredibly solid core of, of writing uh, behind it that I don't really think a game of this size and scope could do nowadays either because of the expectation of voice acting. Like, the conversation system is something that I miss. Every single random townsfolk has so many topics that you can ask them about. And they'll give their canned responses, but there'll be, like, a dice roll for a variation of it that kind of makes it feel like the conversation was a little more personal. Like, when you walk off the Silt Strider in Balmora and ask a random person for directions to the Southwall Corner Club, they don't feel like a random person. They, they feel like an individual pedestrian who actually lives in that town who wasn't just, like, churned out on the fly from an automatic NPC generator. Even though that was totally the case and the streamlining is visible, the amount and, and breadth of topics of conversations you can get from random people and how important they are to your main quest lines and the directions that you're trying to follow make them feel like more important people than they actually are. And that's something, that's a feeling that I think has gone away from the newer Elder Scrolls games entirely, too. You can totally tell who is a random NPC villager and who is an important quest giver nowadays. And in Morrowind, you got to use a little more intuition by talking to people, figuring stuff out, and um, that it, it just makes every little social encounter in this world more memorable in a way that I don't think has transcended to the sequels of this game. Segwaying into RPGs with which try to capture spirits of games like Morrowind, you've been playing Pillars 2, right? I, I, I literally started it yesterday and barely made it past the character creation screen 
but so far, so okay. Okay, okay, I know, a lot of people are gonna balk at that, but you guys gotta understand, in like hardcore pen and paper style CRPGs, you are supposed to spend an hour on character creation. <laughs> and you can <laughs> so totally you do for? that. Uh, I tried, it's a weird system. They want you to import your save game from, from Pillars 1, but they don't fully complete the character for you, which I guess has me guessing that uh, the gameplay systems are going to be drastically different. So you import your save game that keeps your story decisions from the first game, and then you're tasked with more or less building a new character from scratch once once they're done quizzing you, once they're done giving the Bioware quiz on, all right, what did you do during the major decision of previous game? I and... never got to said previous decision. Thanks for spoiling oh. the first game, second game. Yeah, it'll definitely spoil the first game if you haven't made it to the end of the first one, which is a shame because the first one peters out towards the end. I, I think Pillars 1, like, the first half of it is... is fantastic as in terms of like a kickstarter niche game that was trying to nail the production value size and scope of of what used to be the triple a's that was inspiring it i think it absolutely accomplished its goals it does peter out towards the third act though and you can tell they ran out of time and money i'm wondering if that'll happen with this one but i still really like some of the writing like like some of the real trippy uh like like Chris Avalone choice and consequences stuff at the end of Pillars One. In fact, there's one cool idea that I want to share with you guys in the vaguest sense because it is cool, but it is also a spoiler. But I would be really interested in hearing your guys' thoughts about one trick they try at the Go end on. of Pillars of Eternity. Go on. Okay. Mm. <laughs> I am gonna keep it vague. Okay. And for people who are listening who really don't want to hear vague notes on what happens at the end of Pillars 1, go ahead and skip ahead by, let's say, right. two and a half minutes. Right, I'm going to go ahead right. and skip ahead. There is a <laughs> character who you talk to whose memories of the previous events is hazy. You, They ask you for what happened in their memories in order to shape the events that come they react based on a testimony of events that you can totally lie to this character about or just make up on the fly or gradually piece together with context clues you learn throughout the main quest and i thought that was really really cool that you like shape the past of this game's lore from this character's testimony by giving your own version of the story i mean it just sounds like the old amnesiac True, true, but I feel like that's a cool player-involving interactive twist on that trope. It's very convenient. Like, yeah, we yeah. need to ask you loads of questions to get your character. It's, you know, the special sheet from Fallout. It, you know, we need to ask you lots of questions to get all this data from you to create your character. Let's do it in a cool and unique way where this character has no memory of what happened in the previous game. Well, they, they save it to the end, and it ends up shaping up the events of the climax chapter. Oh, okay. And and by that point in the game, you really don't see it coming. Or at least I didn't. I, I thought we had gotten all the quizzing out of the way. But at the end, the, the stuff that happens leading up to the final boss is dependent on a lot, a very complicated dialogue tree preceding. But doesn't that, like, take away from the fact that you've done all this stuff on a journey, and now, like, you could just make up what you wanted? Well, well, the questions aren't about what happened on the journey. They're, they're about, like, inferences the player is making into the lore of the world. 
Yeah, but that's still dependent on the stuff you've done in the game previously, right? I, I, I suppose it's it's like relating to, I, I believe, a chain of events that happened before the game's actual events start. Because uh, your character does, like, wake up with, with amnesia and whatnot, but you uh, get quizzed on what happened before the amnesia later in the game. And, and I believe there are oh, correct okay. and wrong answers that affect how positive the end of the game outcome is. Which is hilarious because when you load up Pillars 2 and, and click on your uh, saved pathway for, for what story decisions you made in the first game, one of the choices is everything bad. <laughs> Where the description <laughs> for this like preset story build is something like, you made all the bad choices, you got the worst ending, every character in your party died and you never leveled up your character, your friends are dead, your mom called you to say she's disappointed in you, not advised for new players. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the only important thing is that what anyone cares about is, George, are you going to make a Pillars 2 video review? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it, and I actually really like the, uh, well, really like, I, I'm, I'm pretty darn okay with the note it started off at. Um, it's like a pirate-themed one this time. They, uh, they have you swashbuckling that does from, make from ship me to ship on tropical I'm islands. Like, I'm kind of like with Divinity 2 coming out for, like, consoles, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of holding off on playing, like, a big CPRG kind of thing. And I don't blame you because it's very niche. You're still going to be reading a shitload of yeah, flavor text. And I, I missed the Divinity 2 boat, no pun intended, on Pillars of, the two, Pillar, Pillars of Eternity 2's boat. Um, <laughs> I kind of I kind of want to play Divinity 2, whereas I played Pillars 1. I didn't finish it. I liked it. But I, I'm more interested in jumping Divinity 2 than this. And I, that's... I mean, it has the higher scores. I just consider Pillars like one of those weird George games that... that one of the really Pillars of George's... Is it yeah. really easy just to jump into two and be okay with it? Because I feel like it's a direct sequel. I I will say that you'll get spoiled towards the end of the game, but, but the stuff that happens at the end of Pillars 1 is such a mishmash of, of gods with deus ex machina that... It's not probably gonna be something you care about having spoiled that much. How, how is the combat? I can't really testify that much. I only had my character go through like the first tutorial fight and then walk around a bit of the first opening area. I, so so you know I'm not very deep into it, but. I'm I'm wondering if I uh, am already noticing the lack of of Chris Avalone writing. The writing seems very descriptive and immersive when you're like reading your wall of text and the text boxes. But the premise they set up for is really it just strikes me as kind of stupid. You're you're basically sailing a boat across the ocean chasing after a giant kaiju monster who has a, a chunk of your soul inside of them, and it seems really. Uh, uh, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that this giant kaiju monster who destroys entire castles with the casual step of their Isn't foot... is a god? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's there's a god that possesses a giant-ass, like, mountain-sized statue <laughs> it, that destroys uh, your 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 home. You, you wake up with a... Uh, Motherfucker. 
and and you try to chase him and and track him down and figure out why why did you do that, bro? Why did you why did you stomp all over my body and and <laughs> smush me into mush and and require me to reshape myself from divine intervention in the character creation screen? And and during the the storybook scenes are better animated this time. They have more of a budget. You have fancy 3D character models now instead of the uh, like prefab entire yeah. character model with a portrait that doesn't represent them. Yeah. Um, and that's that's neat. But at the end of the better animated storybook cutscene towards the early side of the game, you see the giant kaiju statue monster like dip below the horizon as it <laughs> plunders away into the distance. And and something about that just seems stupid to me. And I don't quite know how to describe why very well, but it it looked stupid. It seems like a stupid quest that your character is on. They're just going to get stomped on if they're ch legitimately chasing after this evil god monster. So I'm I'm wondering how well the story is going to pan out. But in a game like this, it's oftentimes just as much about the cool little side stories as it is the main quest. Even if the main quest is dumb, as is the case in a ton of CRPGs, the side quests can pick up the slack. Okay. I've heard like the ship combat is pretty fucking weak. Oh, ship combat! I haven't gotten to that tutorial yet. Just the uh, regular combat. Uh. There's there's guns now, like straight off from the from the start. You can make multi-class characters that can use a little bit of the skills, but not be very good at them. It's like another option that they advise for new players. You could just straight up turn level scaling on or off, or set it to like main quest only mode. <laughs> oh, I want to play it. But I'm gonna hold off. I'll, I'll, I'll just give you the report at the end yeah. of next week. That's my deadline. Turn in your essay, please. It'll be nice doing that and not like theory is on edutainment, which is the video that just released uh, literally two minutes ago. D what? <laughs> I uh, put out the Nintendo Labo video. Labo. It Labo. killed me to, to correct myself in the script with that. It's Labo. I know. I know. I just had to slap myself. It's Labo. Labo. Old habits die hard. But you said it correct first. I know, and then I, like, messed up again. I'm, I'm Finico, by the way. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> oh, did you take the G? That's all you were doing while George was talking about yes, RPGs. Yes, that's exactly what I was doing. I was, <laughs> oh my god, Matt, do you remember the TOVG podcast? <laughs> don't, where don't where I went it. on about pillars for like two hours. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And you and Jimmy were just so mad. Yeah. I apologize. We, we just tapped out. I was thinking about that last night. I was constantly reminded of it as I was going through the opening chapters of, of Pillars 2. I like how George was thinking about that and still decided to talk about Pillars 2 on this podcast. Well, so far it's only been 10 minutes. <laughs> so, so I'm going to... So you were going to go, Matt. Yeah, I, I got to say, like, the questions yes, are kind of weird. Dumb. Um, yeah, they're dumb. But... When you get, like, the little description, I'm like, yeah, I'm probably Finneco. <laughs> I'm the closest yeah, to Finneco. <laughs> nailed it. Now I need to take, and now I need George to take it in the break and for him to get Redsco, and then I'm, like, two for two. Mm, 
there's one last thing I want to say about Pillars 2 that I think is cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have lore tooltips. If, if a character in the game throws out some weird term in the dialogue, like, hey, I'm the god... You can roll over... You can roll over uh, uh, Gladarilililil or whatever the, the term they're throwing out is and just get a tooltip defining what the fuck that weird fantasy, like, dollar store Tolkien terminology is. And and they, they make it real easy for, like, how... That's another thing I, I genuinely liked about both these games is that for how, like, complicated they try to be, they also really try to slicken up the interface and make it... uh more more accessible and transparent for players who might not be aware that these things are based off of the AD&D rule system from like the late 90s. Anyways. <laughs> well, we'll hear more about it next week, won't we? We will. I I I'll apologize ahead of time. To Matt. I don't care. I like it. I okay. I I, I want to play it. I want to hear about it. Matt, sorry, I fell asleep. I can take quizzes. Matt, hmm? Matt, I'm. I just. We've been through a lot together, we but, have. but after after next week, I think the worst will be behind us. Oh, I okay. just want to apologize ahead of time. Oh, okay. I might. I might as well, you know, give it a try. You know, maybe. Oh, oh, then then we could talk about it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then then you'd have a video game. <laughs> And that's the break. <laughs> We've got a new friend for everyone. He's got fur and a tail. He gets in lots of trouble, but he's a bouncy little fellow. Because he's got springs for legs. Pogo the Monkey, the best new video game for the whole family. I love you, Pogo. You bounce. Help Pogo escape from the evil research laboratory where the mean old scientist genetically altered him. Uh-oh, the pharmaceutical scientist is going to get you, Pogo. Here you go, Pogo. Have a gold coin. Good thing Pogo has a banana cannon. Those nasty scientists deserve to die. Now get the shampoo manufacturers before they squirt it in your eye. Here you go, Pogo. Have a diamond. You'll guide Pogo through tons of fun adventures, including saving Timmy, who fell down the well. Help! <laughs> Here you go, Pogo. Have a big watch. Rescue a cat out of that tree with your banana cannon, Pogo. Here you go, Pogo. Have a fast car. And help Pogo to his final mission, to storm the White House with his friends and become President of the United States. Pogo the Monkey is the game kids are sure to stare at for hours. Everyone loves Pogo. Idiot Gamer called Pogo the best spring and simian game since Bouncing Bananas. Buy the game Pogo the Monkey today. Right, Pogo? And coming soon, Pogo the Monkey card game, Pogo the Monkey plastic dolls, Pogo the Monkey quilt covers, and Pogo the Monkey car covers. For the dad who has everything, why not a Pogo the Monkey tie and sports jacket? For the lady in your life, why not Pogo the Monkey chocolates and hygiene products so she smells like a real monkey? And for kids, a life-size, living, breathing, springing monkey. All available at PogoTheMonkey.com. Hello again, and welcome to the Dan Sons Podcast, with which we took a break in the break I bought Mega Man and George took a personality <laughs> quiz. Yeah. Everything happens. And we talked about Matt's, like, future. Oh, this God. This is the kind of, this is the golden shit you don't get unless you subscribe to our secret Dan Sons Patreon, where you hear all of this wonderful off-air talk. Wait, we don't get paid for that. We don't, we don't get paid for that. Don't, don't, don't. Don't give George more money. George, the pig boss, takes all the money. 
Ah. Oh, no, I, I pay you guys more than the TOVG podcast oh. ever paid. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, so who are you? Um, to change the subject, who are oh, you? Oh, man. I, I, I am Director Gory. Ah, okay. Wow. I can see that. What? The gorilla. You can see right? that, yeah. And the more you think about it, the more it kind of makes sense. Like, like I uh, might, you know, pretend to be hot shit, but, but deep down on the inside, I uh, might not feel like hot shit. And and no one really seems to know what I do anyway. The the description that they have underneath Director Gory for the personality quiz is is like. It's scary. It's, it's one of those BuzzFeed things. They say, you give off an air of fabulous confidence. It can initially come across as a bit intimidating. In reality, you're so gentle and caring, you just want to show your love for other people. Though you're an excellent confidant, you don't always say what's on your mind because you don't want to hurt other people's feelings. Yeah. yeah. That's... Oh, that, fuck you guys. Yeah. What? That last part is definitely you. Read it, read it again one more time. Read it, uh, read it again. Do I have to? It's scary. Read it again. Read it again. You give off an air of fabulous confidence and can initially come across as a bit intimidating. In reality, you're so gentle and caring, you just want to show your love for other people. Though you're an excellent confidant, you don't always say what's on your mind because you don't want to hurt other people's feelings. Oh my god, that's George to a T. Oh, yeah, like, like when that he... That is when so he, George. When he, Why he called my, my Japanese videos wound? cute. Yeah, he. Uh, we take the piss out of George constantly, but George is like the most caring, the easily the most trusting person. But I'm just wondering if if they're doing some like manipulative Miss Cleo, um, um, like like palm reading writing, like if they're trying to write a paragraph that everyone would feel would describe them, because this paragraph basically says that. Other acquaintances think you're cold and intimidating. Your good friends think you're the coolest dude ever. Mm. And doesn't everyone kind of want to think that about themselves? I mean, if other people listen and say that that sounds like you, I guess that that sounds like you. But yet when I read a sentence like, in reality, you are so gentle and caring and you just want to show your love for other people. Ugh, that sounds like, I don't... I don't want to be that masturbatory, you know? I don't want to, like, drum myself up that high. I need to take this quiz, because I haven't even taken it. Alright, I'm going to post a link in our Skype room, and we're going to... I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. I'm going to do we're it gonna, right we're now. We're going to scare Liam. Pick a drink! Okay, um, so Matt, okay. while he's doing the personality quiz, uh, let's, um... Oh, oh god. Mm-hmm. Let's uh let's talk about porn on Steam. Oh, okay. And and how everyone got really scared, rightly so. Uh, the, Wait, this the... is my favorite topic. I can't miss it. No, I'm joking. Continue. Oh. <laughs> um, I wonder. I wonder if your Retsuko character is going to be able to multitask. Uh, but let's see. Whoa. Oh, I I can do that. So if you guys have been paying attention to the big big story, big news for the past week, might might be the one story we can get to today because it's a it's biggin. Um. There was a scare for about three going on four days in which the developers of many quote-unquote adult games on Steam, which include a lot of visual novels, but most popularly the Match 4 puzzle game Huni? Honey? Hunei? Honey. Hunai? Honey. <laughs> Pot. 
Um, yeah. they they received a note from Valve saying that they would uh have to change their content. They they received a note stating that Honey Pop violates the rules and guidelines for pornographic content on Steam and will be removed from the store unless the game is updated to remove said content. The reason that's fishy is that starting around 2015, Valve started tolerating porn games on Steam a lot. Like, to an unprecedented extent that we had not yet seen in the history of, of, of gaming, a new market for... for um. For single men? Uh, yeah, yeah, a new market for for single frustrated men or or, or teenagers, or, or, women, I or or boys, uh, boys. opened up. Yeah. Where um the majority games that 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 would be like adult eroge or visual novel um games in Japan would be able to release on Steam so long as they had a patch that like airbrushed, you know, bikinis and yogurt on the right parts of the characters when when needed. And that was stable. Like, 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 it had lasted for quite a while. Um, no one had really been freaking out about it up until now. The National Center on Sexual Exploitation released a blog post in which they claimed their victory over a two-year campaign they were running to send a bunch of emails to Valve and get them to review these uh, porn games and, and take them off and they posted a blog post claiming that they did, that the claiming responsibility for it. And um, for the record, this is the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. They are a Washington DC think tank advocacy group that has the stated aim of, of ending sexual trafficking, although one has to wonder if uh, if anime titties on Steam really really drives up demand for, you know, buying your own sex slave, that seems like quite a line to cross. Oof. From 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 jerking off in a room by yourself for like 15 minutes to uh, you know, owning another human being. Wow. The National Center for Exploitation is uh, a group that consists of a handful of uh, members, most of whom are women that have worked in D.C. for right-wing politicians. The uh, head, though, is this male lawyer who was part of an anti-abortion um, mm. group for quite a while in the 70s, going. going on 80s. And I don't want to, like, harp on them too hard, you know? Because no one, no, one no one wants sex slaves to be a thing that exists on planet Earth, well, you know? Well, George, as I learned when I was Wait in, a in church when I was younger, is that you can't let the devil in. If you let the devil in, George, he'll corrupt your mind, and it's just a gateway drug, George. First, you're jacking off, then you're you're you're, you're buying you're, you're buying, buying little kids. You know, you can't do oh. that. Can't yeah, can't, yeah. can't let I mean, the devil I, in. I did just say no one wants sex slaves to be a thing that exists, but we all know that's not actually true. Anyways. I'm pretty sure that the, 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 the mark of discrepancy here is the idea of, of adult video games and adult content driving demand for real-ass people being, being sexually exploited. And, and I'd be really, really interested to see some um, like scientific correlation between the two. Because I'm pretty sure that in countries that have active porn industries and, and thriving free markets in adult products... You uh, also don't have a, uh, a a large portion of the population having to live their life 
in 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 servitude to to make means the, the idea being that like you know someone having a, a job making porn might be a more stable way of living than someone needing to sell other people into slavery to make a living ah <gasps> which which is like the whole concept of like like libertarian right-wing gop economics to loosen regulations and uh, allow free markets to thrive and sell whatever the hell they want unless it crosses their morals like this which is the uh blindingly obvious hypocrisy that is grinding a lot of american progress to a halt if not going backwards right now so this is frustrating yeah it's it's also frustrating seeing the mantle of uh sex positivity and and freedom of speech and and adult oriented products being uh marketed by by a lot of games that really really might not be the best flag bearer for this cause if you if you browse the sexual content category on steam you'll find a lot of mature visual novels that that oftentimes will have like a well-developed story with a sex scene here and there but then sometimes you'll just find like straight up trump propaganda and um games that that, that are very very clearly much more um, um objectifying and disrespectful to their uh uh, female objects of of admiration, so to speak, than than others, and uh, I, that's 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 where I, I you know kind of want to stay away. I don't I don't want to be associated with like some some if not most if not all adult content on Steam. Though I do want to rally for their cause to uh, popularize and uh, be able to sell and hopefully develop and mature the genre itself into something that might be a little more respectable because i think it can be done like like in a lot of uh ind indie films and movies you can have full-on straight-on unsimulated hardcore sex scenes in the middle of a very simulated Netflix story and like yeah is all sex like all and, and people have grown to accept that because that's <laughs> for those fortunate among us that is life yeah it is <laughs> For the very fortunate, yeah, I had to put a disclaimer there. Oh no, um, titties! Like, like the, <laughs> did I miss the point? Like, I don't know. Like, what's the point of removing the stuff? People are just gonna get it somewhere else. Well, the thing that breaks my heart about it coming into uh, hot water on Steam and also Patreon too is that this is the one chance these games have to make good money. They're not allowed to be sold in stores. They, if, if a game gets an AO rating from the ESRB, it's pretty much a death nail. Steam actually sells AO rated games. Most of them straight up opt out because getting a porn game rated by the ESRB is just a straight up loss of money because it's not like any stores or publishers participating in the ESRB program are going to want to sell porn. And Steam has been the exception. I very much consider them a trailblazer, actually, and I've been waiting for uh, some company out there to, to finally, like... Makeup. What I don't understand about this, yeah. and what constantly doesn't make any sense to me about Steam or Valve or the way they operate Steam, is I don't know why they don't heavily regulate certain genre aspects on their store. Like, I get people want them to, like, regulate all the 40 to 50 games that get put on the store every day and it looks like a whole heap of trash. 
but that's just what's going to happen when you have like you can just pay $99 and you can get your game on Steam but I don't understand like why they don't like make teams like Valve have the money to just make teams that target certain you don't have to do it for every genre like if it's an action adventure game fine it's it's probably going to be okay but if you're just going to like all of a sudden like wipe away any game that has any sort of relation to sexual content in a visual novel style you could at least just make a team that goes through all of those games and decides like okay this is the stuff that isn't okay what a that hell of a job about. oh my god but it isn't though because it's one genre you're not talking about the whole steam library you're talking I... about one genre I, so so something like 40 games get released on Steam per day. And, yes, you know, that sounds like about... a lot. But YouTube, as bad as they are at moderating, they still have that warehouse of 10,000 reviewers who like, will, like, watch videos that get submitted for reports, who will vet to some extent for the normal YouTubers, not the big famous ones. That's the... The, the, the YouTube privilege everyone knows about. I mean, you have to wait for your game to be approved on Steam anyway. You have to wait like a month between when you pay for the license to put it on there and then when you can create your page and all that kind of stuff. In that one month since you paid, it should be reviewed. Like, it should be reviewed by somebody, especially if it's falling under the umbrella of a genre in which... Steam are just going to be like, nah, fuck that. We're just going to remove all of these games instead of, like, looking at them. Especially with games like Honey Pop, which is kind of, like, on the line between yeah. being completely okay and... It's kind of... it's Okay, so one of the things that's really frustrating to me on a more personal, maybe subjective level is that I'm seeing this cause being championed by a lot of people who don't seem to be able to tell the difference between explicitly for jerking off material and games that are love stories that, yeah like 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 there is a huge gap mm -hmm. between the audience and purposes that honeypot is for and the audience and purposes that witcher 3 is for but you will see yeah. parallels being tits. drawn between the two you because they, they they have tits both. right right but yeah. the idea of like depicting those tits with respect and like slapping them on a character that's treated with respect is mm. is something that seems to be kind of lost on on a lot of fans oh, i don't know it just it baffles me sometimes with the way steam is going and how how steam don't combat this in more sensible businessy way because they don't want to hire people they want to still be a cute little so like small like, hipster company in in, so in washington state oh, and so uh weird when gaben has so much money they don't like, have job titles so they don't know who's in charge of what and who has the final say on certain decisions which is what happened here which has happened like three times in the past couple years not only is he literally, like, one of the richest video game-related people, he's literally one of the richest people on the planet. Like, some of that has to funnel into making your products better. Also, I mean, the idea of, the game of, of, like, capitalism is to, you know, like, like hire people, give them jobs, be a job creator. <laughs> share share your wealth. It's not like share taxes are going to force you to do it in, the, in America. Ugh. It's about his fourth island. Leave him alone. <laughs> so, 
Honeypot and many other developers of games that include patchable nudity scenes on Steam have uh, received reports that they need to change their content or get delisted. Uh, two days later, they receive another report saying, please disregard the previous report. We're actually just going to re-review our whole entire policy and we'll get back to you then. Wow. Which, you know, not signed by Gabe. It's just a general statement from Valve. But I still have to wonder if... Like the Skyrim modding fiasco, Gabe woke up the next day and was like, wait a second, I don't like all this negative PR, let's just backpedal. Or in the case of um, their uh, Half-Life fan game policy, if they're like, wait a second, I guess people can be allowed to sell games that have our IP. Wait a second, no, not when they make a bad game and give us bad PR. They... They don't seem to have a solid core set of consistent values that is shared across the company culture that is enforced in an efficient and uh, transparent manner. Because there's a lot of companies, now that they've been empowered by Steam, that have been put in a place in which they expect to keep making adult games, but all of a sudden that financial security, or, or not financial security, but um, economic security of knowing that they have a solid popular marketplace to sell their games on instead of having to go to somewhere like fucking Nutaku that <laughs> they probably really like the idea that their game can exist outside of uh, advertising banners on torrent sites yeah and and the thought of that being taken away is something I really don't like well I was looking at the honeypot twitter and they're, they're already posting like the game and hosting it on other websites like Faku and stuff like that. So they're oh, finding wow. other places to host yeah. it. And they, Faku they could have... capitalize on it. Play Asia could capitalize on it. Yeah, like they already have like an audience, so they're gonna be okay. But for like anyone starting, but it's no or Steam anyone audience. Like that's trying to make it. Yeah, David and Goliath in comparison. Yeah. Oh well. All right, Liam. What you what you well, got? Oh yes. On your I, results. Okay. So, for, uh, what do you think? What do, what do you think? I'm thinking um, the... You're going to hate this. I'm thinking the bubbly dough girl. Jesus Christ. Wow. Um, I hate you. <laughs> I, I warned you. Uh, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Ah, man, I, I don't know, really. Uh, I'm going to... Wow, he's not on here. Um... What about the 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 fox raccoon guy? Let's let's go with that guy. <laughs> the fox raccoon guy. Yeah, yeah, the guy who looks like Hida, a fox, who looks like a raccoon. mammal. Yeah. Hida. You're both wrong. What a surprise! He's the <laughs> what an unfamiliar situation. I can't believe me and Matt Visual are both wrong about a <laughs> question Liam's asking us. <laughs> I got Retzko. Ah, what? the lady herself. Yeah. So you sat there and took it at GTA, man? You just took it? I know, man. Fucking out it. I don't know what this is about. You might come as sweet and mild-mannered, but deep, deep down, you're a death metal princess just ready to unleash an unyielding flood of rage. You try your hardest. You really do. But for some people, it's just never quite enough, George. Never forget that you're bright and talented and very hardworking. And when people forget that, you just grab a microphone and scream into their faces. Do it. Eh. I'm so Did glad George was a gorilla. <laughs> I'm 
As it kind of looks like George. I'm, I'm okay with my result. <laughs> George is uh, both of you are stupid. I don't know about I'm gonna mine. I'm going to send a picture in Skype. And it's, I should put one right beside, put a picture right beside it and see see if we can. Are you comparing George to a gorilla? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. I'm, I, I, I am a, he has a, he has a jo- very George face. Guilty thing. as charged. Mm-hmm. You think? Like, like, yeah, kind of like a neutral, resting, monotone yeah. face. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. see this. D- G- Director Gory might not emote a lot, but when she does, you know she's happy. And that... She emotes a lot outside of work. And But George never goes to work, so we would never know. Yeah. Why? George I... doesn't know about having a job or, you know. <laughs> I've been there. I spent years of my life watching dishes in the slop kitchen. Oh, now George relaxes after a day at work. Yeah. All right. He just does more work. Yeah. The same stuff. I mean, the downside to that is that you're always freaking out about not getting enough work done, and it's a real problem of uh, combining your like personal and professional lives. You never know when it's safe to sleep. The, the anxiety. <laughs> is, oh, my uh, God. Is, is steadily taking over, rotting my brain. It's growing like a fungus. Hey, Liam, you are like those Yakuza games, right? Oh, shit, yeah. So Yakuza 3, 4, and 5 are getting remastered for the PlayStation 4, which will mean the whole damn gang. Okay. A whole are you, series. Are you talking remastered on... or remake? No, they're remastered. Okay. Phew. Whereas 1 was... and 2... Yakuza 1, Kiwami, Yakuza 2, Kiwami are remakes of 1 and 2. Which which means that when you said that, I was almost, like, half expecting it. I was like, holy crap, are they just going to remake the whole series at this point? Yeah, there, there would, but 3, 4, and 5 aren't that, like, like I think if you played Yakuza 6 and then went back and played Yakuza 3, you probably wouldn't know too much difference because the Yakuza games... They're consistent. It. Apart from Zero, which changed, like, the combat quite a lot, they have relatively stayed the same, which is great because the formula is there. It is awesome. And I'm so happy because so many people haven't played Yakuza 3, which is the, the first game I played in the series back in, like, oh. 2009. And that's the Yakuza... good one. Well, they're no, all good, no, no. but... That, no, they're all good, but Yakuza 3 is my personal favorite. Like, that <laughs> one has a batshit story about Kiryu being, like... The running an orphanage in Okinawa, saving and falling the orphanage into like, from the evil developers. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, saving so them good. from saving them from housing development yakuza <laughs> problems in Okinawa of all places. Like only Kiryu can find this bullshit, and then he like goes back to Tokyo and he's like fighting with his anarchy on the top of a building. Oh man, it's got like it almost has the same ending as Metal Gear Solid Four. Like when you're fighting. Liquid on top of a submarine, just replace Kiryu and another Japanese Yakuza on top of a building in Tokyo's skyline. It's amazing. It's really good. Like, I'm so happy people are going to play these games again because I think a lot of people, the Yakuza series is obviously just like blown up with like Yakuza 5 and 0 kicking off and now Yakuza 6. There's like this huge market for these games. And for a long time, 3 and 4 didn't really get the attention. They were, they were doing okay in the West, but the reason we had three and four come out and then there was a, there was like a, de- like a delay of three years between four, five coming out and then 
actually getting translated because Sega were like, hey, we're just not making any money doing this. So wasn't five, five made, they made five a digital only game because they weren't going to bring out a physical release because Yakuza wasn't doing that well. But now Yakuza's like one of Sega's biggest franchises. After five came out and then Yakuza Zero, like Yakuza is like huge now. So this turn in fortune is mean they've made Yakuza 1, Kiwami again. They made Yakuza 2 again, that's coming out. Yakuza 6 is obviously out. They made Yakuza 0. It's like high flying. And now like people it, get to go back and play 3, 4, and 5. It's awesome. At this point, the entire series is on PS4. Or, or will be very, very soon. Will right? be on PS4. Like you, you could play a whole series on PS4. That is so and cool. Like that's... You could play six mainline games and a prequel. That That's a awesome. huge boon to me because I've always like dabbled in the Yakuza's. I've never managed to get to the the very end of one. The the one I've played the most is number one. I played someone number three. I played someone number four. I played someone number five. But I uh, have always I never took the plunge and fully invested in them because of that how it's divided across all the consoles. I don't want to have to emulate. Yeah. And and I don't want to have to order an old ps3 vintage copy that'll probably be really expensive for uh the ps3 games and i and that's the thing is like they don't because of the engine they've used they've just kind of iterated on it those games don't look that bad anyway so like moving them to ps4 giving them you know 1080p high res maybe 4k they're gonna look great they're gonna look really good and maybe they'll improve some systems like the combat won't feel so stiff in three and four uh, but I'm excited for people to check them out again. I'm excited to go back and play three and all the yeah. It's just it's nothing but good news in Yakuza Town. Yakuza Town, isn't that where you live? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because six takes place like in a place called Onomichi, which is about forty-five minutes away from me. So almost. So when uh, you are are driving down the streets of yakuza town next uh next time you're you're like flipping over obstacles on your way to work that uh depend on the color of your briefcase you can um i don't know oh, maybe, oh, maybe 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 whip out oh, a switch oh, and play some uh oh, dark souls oh, oh, on the way after after that remaster comes out whoops everyone decided they don't like the remaster so I'm going to bunt us into some very, very quick listener questions. Matt, and... Matt's going to go back to playing the game he's been playing. Yeah. <laughs> is it is it Dark Souls on the Switch? Because I've, I've seen some screenshots of the uh, armors in the new version looking quite, quite less good than the original. I don't know. That's the only difference that seems like blatantly worse to me, but Alex G sent us a question in which they said uh, that the $20 Dark Souls remaster is looking like it's not going to be worth it. They said, have you considered playing Dark Souls with a mod pack or a new way to enhance the game without having to spend $20? Also, what's your favorite non-Bethesda game based modding experience? Wait, the Dark Souls remaster is only $20? Let me, let me, let me double check his... Uh... Price tag there is it twenty dollars on Switch as well, bad. or is it full price on Switch? I bet I bet it's fucking full price on Switch. It's a twenty dollar upgrade on PC. Ah, upgrade? so probably the console versions are just console version is forty dollars. Okay, uh, of course. What about so, the Switch version? 
Forty dollars too? Yeah, forty dollars. Oh okay. Oh, if it's twenty dollars, I don't know why people are complaining. I'd be like fucking all over that. Well, that's if you own the original. Yeah, but but it, the question made it sound like. Yeah, I don't think that this guy is in the market for the remaster in the first place. Because I could see the convenience of uh, not having to deal with like a I mean, it's just the same about FPS the Yakuza lock. story. It's the same as the Yakuza story we just talked about. Like, you know, if you're going to play those games, you're going to play those games. If you missed out, if you haven't played those games in a while, like I haven't played Yakuza 3 in a while. If I'm going to go back and play it, I'm going to... I'm going to play the, the, the remaster version. And I feel like people are going to... You're going to have this group of people who have not played Dark Souls or maybe only kind of played it a little when it initially came out. And now they understand it's like this huge franchise that, you know, everyone loves. So maybe they'll dip into playing it. And then you'll have everyone who's played Dark Souls like thousands of times who are now going to want to just play the Switch version just to see what it's like. So I, I, I don't... I don't think also, there is like anything disappointing about it. It's just it it's it is what it is. It's a remaster. Uh yeah, I, I'm not disappointed so much as I'm just kind of frustrated. I just wish the remaster was truly an objective improvement in all respects versus uh it's, like I mean just make the better, frame rate worse. better. Just make the frame rate better. Yeah, and that's it's already a better game. What I was about to get into. Alex G, if you're in the market for a twenty dollar Dark Souls remastered upgrade, then you should already be familiar with the process of modding the PC version of Dark Souls. Because um it's borderline necessary. You uh you gotta get DS fix on there to up the resolution and up the frame rate and uh in which case your your HUD's gonna look real stretchy. In which case I used a lot of HUD mods, and uh, I have used graphics mods in Dark Souls. The tree resolution is really really low res and blurry at uh, the game's vanilla state, and when you upres it in 3D on PC, the game still looks really good, except for just a few textures. One of which is some tree foliage that I dumped a higher res version of in that blended right in and looked fine. But uh, best modding experience outside of Bethesda games, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say would be uh, the days when Half-Life 1 modding was going down real hard. When total conversion mods back then looked like Counter-Strike and Natural Selection and The Specialists. There were so many fun novelty maps to uh, dick around within the multiplayer that would make like versions of, of the town from The Simpsons or... Have, have a giant version of someone's living room where all the players were, were ant-sized fighting across it. There was so much cute creativity that uh, was being fostered in communities of people who would have to learn skills. They'd have to learn Photoshop and Milkshape 3D to, to make this stuff. And that seems to have gone away in favor of, of indie game development being a thing, which... I don't know. I'd rather just have just have both. Uh, if if kids these days wanna wanna make content for video games, they got ways to do it. But it seems like a little bit more of an uphill climb than making maps and currently existing games. I'm I'm not the guy to ask about mods. I never have really delved into that community, and I didn't really grow up playing PC games, modding them. So you guys. Yeah. You guys probably have got way more experience than me with that. I, yeah, I, I've played some mods for like Halo back in the days and Call of Duty back in the days on PC, but I didn't really get too much into it as well. 
Yeah, with those games, your options are quite much more limited. I mean, with Halo, though, there's uh, some good total conversion mods that, like, kind of release a Halo remastered but for PC experience that I've always been interested in giving a try. I uh, don't remember the name of the project, but it was some real real abstract bungee-sounding name. Like, it wasn't Project Cartographer. That's the... The Halo 2 re-release. The El Dorito is the Halo 3 re-release. There was some <laughs> weird fancy name for a Halo 1 mod that... Uh... I mean, I've seen cool mods. I've watched a lot of videos about, you know, the dumb shit you can do with games. I always like the ones where you just break the game. Like, you do crazy shit. Obviously, Skyrim comes to mind. All the dumb, 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 dumb stuff you can do with that. It's always really interesting, and I imagine like the people at Bethesda do get a kick out of watching it and stuff like that. I, I I've never really done it. it myself. It's called Halo SPV three. That's a that's a cool a mod project title. to keep an eye out for. Yeah, yeah. If you want if you want Halo remastered, but for PC, but for free, look up Halo do mods count, SPV three. Like, building like people building games within games. I always like that. I think that's so. really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think that counts as a mod. They, they'd call it a total conversion back in the day, where they basically yeah, that, like that use the existing game cool. more like an engine. Yeah, obviously Defense of the Ancients and stuff like that is the stuff that sticks out. Yeah, Counter-Strike Counter -Strike. and Natural yeah. Selection. All that kind of stuff is uh, really, really cool. All right. So Harry H. asks... My question is, what are your opinions on the Dragon Quest series, and why do you think the series is so unpopular in the West compared to Final Fantasy, compared to the massive popularity Dragon Quest has in Japan? Final Fantasy Seven. That's it. That's Final Fantasy Seven. What did it? Dragon Dragon Warrior, as it was known, up until that point, combined with the fact that you only got Final Fantasy Three, which was Final Fantasy Six. There is a reason they skipped. The other games, because it wasn't that popular then. And then 6 came out, did okay, they made 7. 7 was like the game that changed the world at the time, making Final Fantasy a home, like a, like a, everyone knew about it. And then Dragon Quest was doing well in Japan, it still catered to the Japanese audience, whereas Final Fantasy then became this international brand. There, Final Fantasy 7 made Final Fantasy what it is. It's not the difference between Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy, it's more about it just became a known brand because of Final Fantasy VII. It, it was known between people who didn't play RPGs, people who weren't that into games. It was, it was like a meteoric rise for a, a series that had done okay, but was nothing, you know, amazing at the time. Whereas Dragon Quest, you know, continued to just do what Dragon Quest was doing. It's never had like a breakthrough game. You could say Dragon Quest VIII was... Probably the biggest in Dragon Quest X on the DS. Those games did really well. They reviewed pretty highly. But, you know, taking every other JRPG around Final Fantasy as well as Dragon Quest, they're all very heavy JRPGs that take a lot of investment to get into. That, that kind of genre is hard and impenetrable as it is anyway. But Final Fantasy gets away with it because it became this international brand that people became obsessed with because of Final Fantasy VII. So I don't know if it's because Dragon Quest is diff is any r different, really. It's just 
a time and a place thing, I think. Because obviously in has it always been turn based? Because Dr- I've never Quest? played. Yeah, has it always been turn based? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's always stayed old reason, school, basically. Yeah, I don't think it's the changed a lot. It's changed a lot in it's the good. West until eight. TBH. Yeah. Like I'm Dragon watching a new Dragon one Warrior. now, and it looks exactly the same as I remembered way back. Like it, it, it yeah. nothing has like changed. Like eleven, no eleven. Ha, there, are, you can move around, but it's still like uh, you have to wait to attack and stuff like that. But it, you know, it reviewed really well. All the Dragon Quest games review incredibly well because if you are into that stuff, Dragon Quest is like the top tier of JRPGs. Like it's a known series as well. It's just it's the same as most JRPGs. They're very very difficult to get into. They it, it takes an investment, and that kind of stuff just it doesn't become popular. You know, Xenoblade Chronicles is arguably the only thing next to Final Fantasy and maybe the Tales series that are like ongoing successful JRPGs. Everything else is sort of in the middle ground of making it big in Japan but doing so-so in the West. Final Fantasy is just this uh, whole other thing, isn't it? It's like fandom galore. So <laughs> They had quite the uphill climb to make. Like I remember when I was a kid Whenever any parents walked in on any JRPGs, they'd just be like, why do your characters just stand there and take the hit? The idea of representing, like, action and violence with abstract numerical numbers isn't 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 uh, quite as palatable to Westerners yeah, who, you know, who might want to get their hands dirty, you know? Yeah, if you, go all the, if you just go all the way back, like, the amount Final Fantasy took from Dragon Quest and what Dragon Quest laid the foundations for based on what... Dragon Quest learned from games like Ultima and stuff like that. It's like a you know the the generation game. It just steps down, and Final Fantasy was the iterative series that got a little faster. Like as soon as Final Fantasy VII came out, it changed everything. Like it changed JRPGs considerably, um, and that was something that until Dragon Quest VIII, uh, which was a PlayStation Two game, Dragon Quest didn't really do. And even then, it still had. It didn't change its gameplay too much. It just became a bit more of a CGI, um, you know, glorious cel-shaded game. A very, very good game, but still an impenetrable JRPG. Whereas, you know, Final Fantasy VII was the cinematic story explosion that hadn't really happened before. So, I don't know. So, uh, now with that out of the way... I mean, way... You, you guys... You guys don't play them, so I'm, yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm just yeah. This is this you. is basically yeah. Liam's question. Uh, Elliot yeah. H says, a few weeks back, I saw that George had written a video in Wisecrack about Metal Gear. I enjoyed the video, but it got me thinking about journalism on YouTube and if it could compare to journalism of yesteryear. Is it at all comparable to freelance journalists being hired on a piece by piece basis, or is it a whole different kettle of fish? Kettle <gasps> of fish. Where to begin? You don't want to be a freelancer. The freelance fees for most publications are absolute garbage trash that no one can eke a living off of. If you actually want to be making a living as a journalist, you're either going to have to churn the fuck out of those freelance pieces in and out or get a position as a staff writer somewhere. Um, That job I did on Wisecrack was, admittedly, during a, a time in my life when I did not have the Patreon and could use the fun bucks. 
but um, most of the money that's being made by YouTubers, I'm going to guess is being made by the YouTuber's own channel themselves. There is an economy, and Matt Visual and I know a lot of people roped into this economy of um, like smaller editors or graphics artists or like musicians who will make money uh, selling their services to YouTubers. But so far as I can guess, it's not really their primary. Mm. I don't know what like. Because you remember Sunder, right? Sunder would, would do freelance work for a lot of YouTubers. Yeah. But it, and, w- it was um, never enough because... Oof. Um, which, which is the case in yeah. just about any industry that yeah. takes freelancers. freelancers. Like, yeah, you're, you're not being paid by the hour. They're, they're not obligated to pay you a federal minimum wage. Yeah. They will pay you less. Yeah. And mm, it, it depends on who's hiring you. Like if you don't get hired by a YouTuber and you're an editor, you get you would get paid more because they value your services a little bit more. And if you're good at it, you, you know you can actually hold yourself out just a little bit more and get actually paid a proper payment instead of other YouTubers who think they can do the same thing and they they can't, but they still want someone else to do it, stuff like that. Yeah, it, that that kind of happens. There's a, like a gray area there, but you know, it all depends on what type of editor or or um, animator or any of that that you are and how good you are with that. Oh yeah, yeah. I bet the animation Ooh. model on YouTube is completely gotten Ooh, flipped it's, up its head from making stuff on your own channel to getting paid to make stuff on other people's channels yeah. because the algorithm no longer wants to bring up short videos and yeah, we'll animations pay you an are going to be short. Yeah, okay, you can kiss my ass. Because, um, <laughs> like, like, you know, I, I, I did pay a lot of money to the guy who made my animation in my Project W video. The, the Super Best Friends have a rotating circle of animators they pay to do intros. But, man, if you're an animator trying to make stuff on the internet these days you're gonna have to rely on crowdfunding more so than trying to do your own videos with your own ad revenue which means more of an uphill climb it means having the time money freedom to do the job for free before you get paid for the job which yeah is a piece of worrying advice you don't want to do the job for free for other people but you would want to do the job for free for yourself so that you can start making other people want to pay you. Yes. Uh, man, it sucks trying to get started in, in any career these days, but YouTube especially. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just wondering about the health, the long-term health of the entire platform in general, because I hate to say it, it's nothing like traditional journalism at all. YouTubers don't have fact checkers. They don't have editors. They don't have bosses holding them to high standards. And that's caused a lot of scandals of YouTubers. Um projecting themselves, doing uh, uh, incredibly unattractive, unlikable things. Mm -hmm. It's resulted in YouTubers spreading a lot of false information based on uh, a lack of fact-checking and verifying and and corroborating and uh, consulting. And that's what you get in a traditional newsroom. And in many ways, that business was unsustainable and is going down the tubes anyway. It's really being supported by like rich patrons like the Jeff Bezoses of the world. Uh, who I believe are the owners of the Washington Post now. Like, the Washington Post can publish stories that can incriminate and lead to the resignation of U.S. presidents, but they can't even make enough money for themselves to stay afloat. Yeah. It's... And... Like, I want to say... I don't know if I want to say YouTube is better or worse. YouTube is just more... It's just less consolidated 
among a few rich rights holders than it is spread across all over the place of small business owners, which is good, which is fine. The problem with that is that you see a lot of people marketing themselves as professionals who aren't really professionals. <gasps> ding, 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 ding! Myself, guilty as charged. I very much started the channel as a resume project to get a job somewhere else. Now it is my job, and I'm, like, pretending to be, you know... Matt, you rag on me for this. I pretend to be a professional. <laughs> when I'm not held to standards. <laughs> Alright, well, that's my rant. That's my rant about quote-unquote YouTube journalism. Yeah. There, there, there you go. There you go. Hey, Play video games. All yeah, right. video if games, you... guys. It's fun. YouTube is you fun. Have... Everything is fine. We're we're going to get off of this podcast and, and we're going to have a great day. Fine. Right. All right. If you got questions to send us mm -hmm. about the pressing topics of our industries that we've gotten ourselves roped into, right. send them to. Hang on. Dad and Sons Podcast at gmail.com. I forgot, George. No, I just wanted to make sure it was right because sometimes I don't know if it's Dad and Sons or Dad and How Son. How could you forget or Dad and Sons? <laughs> this is your job, George. <laughs> I thought you were all about being a consummate professional. Yes. Aren't you a professional? I'm, I'm just going to jump out the window right now. Uh, Welcome uh, to Dad and Sons. Bye. <laughs> Did he close the door? Be close the window before he jumps out. <laughs> <laughs>